Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. I am back from Bourbon Street, and I am ready for Nebraska to play in a Sugar Bowl. Gentlemen, have you been to New Orleans? We'll start with Brian Christofferson. Uh, one, for one day. I went uh, at the, my old job at the newspaper when Bo Pelini was the defensive coordinator slash head for LSU slash head coach of Nebraska, and they beat Ohio State. So I didn't really experience it. I, even though they were partying out there, I kind of just – You stayed away. I steered clear of it. That's probably smart. Brunts? Never been. Never been. You Did you get in some trouble down there? I feel like, I feel like anything over like two days in New Orleans, you're probably asking for trouble. With a capital T. Uh, one member of the group got punched in the face, but he didn't actually do anything other than was standing next to a stop sign. And some woman that was mad at her either boyfriend or husband just hauled off and slugged him in the face at 4.30 <laughs> in the morning. Um, and that person actually happens to be my brother-in-law, which makes the story funnier to me because he wouldn't instigate anything with anybody. And by all accounts was just staring off into space and just got punched for it. So um, there's that, you know, be careful. You might get slugged. But other than that, I think it was a largely clean trip for the most part. Did you sleep in a bed every night or was there uh, a night or two where you like in a back alley? I, I made it back to a bed every night, but I never slept for more than three and a half hours at any point in time. So sleep was, was pretty hard to come by. Um, they have suggested times to, to close bars, but if you get into a place before they shut their doors, they'll let you drink for as long as you want, basically, while continuing to serve you. So and there was, there was definitely some, uh, some late mornings. It was, uh, it was an experience. I feel like I'm still recovering from it in some ways, but, uh, I was glad to have had it. I hope you brought up the bounty gate. Saints team at least uh, five or six times. I didn't because the memory I associate with that team is uh, a far superior Minnesota team giving away a game with 37 turnovers. So I, I really didn't want to dredge that up. I was quite fond of pointing out that Kirk Cousins has one career playoff win and it came against the 13 win Saints team. That did not win me friends in New Orleans. Did you wear a Kirk Cousins jersey the entire weekend too? That would have been great. I, I didn't because I don't own a Kirk Cousins jersey. And if I did own a Kirk Cousins jersey, I would want it to be a Kirk Cousins Pizza Ranch jersey. And that is all. That feels like an opportunity missed. I'm happy to miss that opportunity. I don't, uh, I don't know that I want to be associated entirely with Kirk Cousins. But when I did get inebriated enough to start stuff, that was generally the go-to that made people mad. It wasn't even the, I didn't even bring up the Stefan Diggs Minneapolis miracle. It was just like, remember how one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, according to everyone beat the saints when the saints won 13 games and had a home playoff game, the Superdome must be pretty overrated. And that just sets people off. It, it really doesn't take much, but uh, you know, I can be kind of a jerk when I drink, I suppose. It's all facts. You weren't saying anything that was false. Right, right. But it's, you know, it doesn't always have to be re-legislated or even mentioned. 
Um, and sometimes it's just people were caught in the crossfire and then they were upset by it. Uh, but no, it was a, it was a good trip. I have no idea what happened in Lincoln for basically a four or five day stretch, which is really hard in this job. I mean, you guys have taken trips, you've gone other places. This is a tough job to, to, you know, completely detach yourself from. And I was able to do that, which I'm thankful for, but it had me like really trying to figure stuff out on Monday. And of course, you know, Nebraska, lo and behold, starts landing commits and uh, they're, you know, they're, they're rolling now. So we'll, we'll see how it goes this week, but uh, they picked up a couple guys, one over the weekend and, and Tyreek Johnson. And of course on Monday, they got their quarterback and Richard Torres. And so I think that's probably, the easiest location to start with. This wasn't a surprise to us. This isn't a surprise to anybody that's listened to this podcast. I think we've been pretty steady since the middle of May that Nebraska's quarterback of choice for this class was going to be Richard Torres. And it was. And it is. Yeah, no, I mean, so that was an invitation for you guys to sort of talk about it. (laughs) EC, go ahead. Yeah, um, I mean, I like, I like uh, what we know about him. I, I mean, he's not the fastest guy. He's not, he's not a burner, as they say. But if you watch his film, he's an elusive guy. And um, it, has, if it allows him to extend plays, it seems like. Now, that's a different level. Can he do that at co- in college? We'll see. But he seems to have enough uh, agility um, to make stuff happen with his feet, keep plays alive, uh, has a big arm. I know one of our 24 seven sports reports was from when he was down at the de- a camp down at Dallas, one of the regional elite 11 camps and Ohio state's big QB commit was down there and has a big arm and, and Torres supposedly matched him sort of in, in being able to make all the, uh, big boy throws. So, uh, there's a lot to work with there. Um, is he raw? Like, you know, maybe Harburg was kind of raw probably. Uh, but uh, we saw even this spring, how big a jump a guy can make when he enrolls early um, like Harburg seemed to do. And uh, it sounds like Richard Torres is on the same timetable from what we've been told to uh, do that. I like that. He did a lot of research too. That was kind of cool. He talked to McKinsey Milton, Marcus Mariota. It seems like he really bonded with Adrian Martinez on his visit and I think really got to pick the brain of him and see like, what's it like to be in this fishbowl as Nebraska's quarterback. And um, he heard the answers he liked and here he is. And now uh, you got a big piece of your recruiting puzzle uh, put in there and, and he can help you recruit too. Yeah. It's, it's funny to me because I think the initial sort of like view of Richard Torres is wait, this guy's not very fast. How's he going to run Nebraska's offense? But if you watch that film, he has the ability to move. Like he is a, is a number of plays where the pocket just collapses on him immediately. And he kind of has to Houdini in and out of trouble. Well, he's still able to keep his, his head up and then make throws downfield. I, I could see where he's, you know, he's going to have the ability to do that, but also can kind of attack a little bit in the run game. I've used this comparison a couple different times. I asked Gabe Brooks who thought it was a little bit interesting, but I, you know, he's, he's a little thicker, but I see some Steven Montez there. Like, I mean, it, just a, a big, 
bigger quarter. Like when Richard Torres gets through a weight program, he's probably going to be 230, 235 pounds. Like he's, he's not going to be um, rail thin. And so I, I think that this is kind of like a completely different style than we've seen with Nebraska, but they're enamored with the idea of someone who moves well enough that can make plays with his feet to extend it so he can throw with his arm and, and hit teams or hit his receivers downfield. I mean, when stuff broke down, he didn't break down. And I think that was one of the things that Nebraska was really attracted to with his junior film. Yeah. It's the, the film is not one that you would watch for tremendous offensive line play. Is that fair to say? <laughs> and no. I, I mean, I, I, and I think that's a credit to, to Torres that, you know, he, kept plays alive and then had the arm to get the ball downfield or find guys who were open. And my thought too, you know, when I see that, I mean, it's a a guy that I think is athletic enough to thrive in Nebraska's offense. I mean, not, not necessarily the, you know, four, four type burner of, of like a Luke McCaffrey, but if you can pair him with a serviceable running back game, I mean, I think you can make that work. Um, you know, when you have somebody that has a quick release and a good arm, I mean, th- those those bubble screens to the outside, those quick throws look a little bit better. And, I mean, it's, it's a little bit different from what Nebraska has maybe recruited in, you know, the 18 and 19 classes. But, I mean, when you have a guy like Harburg who's – more athletic than he probably gets credit for, but has a big arm. Uh, you add Torres to the mix. It is a little bit of a, uh, a different look behind Adrian Martinez um, than what we've had. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. What, uh, like what, what do you think this might mean in terms of Nebraska and Texas? Because, I'm trying to think like they haven't taken a quarterback out of the Lone Star State in a while, right? Unless I'm forgetting a name. I mean, Tommy Tommy um, Armstrong played there a little bit. You'd have to go back to to Cody Green or Jamal Turner, or am I forgetting someone here? Well, Tommy Armstrong is probably the last big quarterback recruit to come out of San Antonio, too. I mean, that was the other right thing too. Is that that's not typically a heavily recruited area football uh, area. Yeah, for I mean, for how big that area is, um, you know, I know Tommy was you know tweeting at Richard Torres before that, and uh, you know when Richard got offered initially by Nebraska, that was something else that popped up too. It was kind of like, aside from just the the obvious connections between Tommy and Nebraska, that that was kind of like it, it's been a while since they've had somebody that you know had had kind of power five, big power five type offers. So, I mean that. Does it help them? I don't know. I mean, is is he a really known quantity down there? Uh, I guess we'll find out. But I mean, I, I think that uh, it's at least at least gives Nebraska a little bit of a foothold down there to maybe do some peer recruiting, not only in you know the twenty this class, but also in the future classes too. It sounded like he was going to really buddy up to Landon Sampson and also uh, and also uh, Justin Williams. Um, so, I mean, if, if, if he can be a good peer recruiter on those two guys, that first weekend in June is going to be the one that, uh, we, you circle like four or five times. Cause I, I still think there's a, the number could be pretty big from 
the, the how many guys you get out of it. Yeah, I I definitely definitely agree with that. So that was Richard Torres, a quarterback. Nebraska of an interesting addition on Saturday in Tyreek Johnson, a sophomore redshirt defensive back from Ohio State, part of the 2018 class, five-star player, and has spent most of his time in Columbus behind guys that are surefire ticket NFL caliber defenders. So he hasn't had a lot of opportunity, which means it doesn't have necessarily numbers to show up. And he chose Nebraska where he hopes to get in the mix at a pretty deep position. Not let's, how do I want to phrase this? You have a surefire starter in Cam Taylor Britt. You have a guy that I think we all feel good about in Quentin Newsom. And you have a guy in Braxton Clark who, if healthy, is going to really make life hard for Quentin Newsom. And those, you know, those guys are ready to go for the 2021 season. This move with Tyreek Johnson feels like a lot like Nadab Joseph to me. Someone with a lot of talent. Nebraska has a spot that they can kind of use. And if we know one thing, Travis Fisher isn't, isn't shy about just let's see what this guy can do. Plus you have Deontay Williams who played from the same high school, knows Tyreek Johnson a little bit. It just felt like this was a lottery ticket for Nebraska. It may not pay off big, but I think it's a smart play overall. What were your initial impressions Brunts, when Tyreek Johnson committed to the Huskers? I think you hit on a lot of them. I mean, it's a, it's a position of need because if you just look at the breakdown of scholarship players on Nebraska's roster right now, they are, they're thin at, at defensive back. You have Cam Taylor Britt, who is not going to leave the field much um, this season, I don't think. You also have some good options on the other side. I mean, I, I, I don't think that uh, it's a stretch to say that Quentin Newsom had a pretty strong grip on the starting job post-spring. And like you said, I mean, if you have a chance to bring in a former five-star recruit with three years of eligibility remaining that, you know, just got a little landlocked on, on the depth chart behind some more talented guys, um, you know, that that's, that's worth doing. It's, <laughs> I mean, my initial thought too, is it's like noteworthy how other teams are living right now, like Ohio state that you have a former five-star that is going to be, a guy that really isn't going to factor in your depth chart at all. Um, that's kind of re remarkable. Um, but I do think that, you know, going into this spring and summer, the big need was to add a defensive back, a corner. That's what, something that Nebraska obviously targeted. And then beyond that, it's, you know, maybe best available player at that point. So uh, th they got their guy. Um, we'll see if he can get in the mix. If he can't this year then you've got a pretty talented guy to, to play special teams for you this year and then be there whenever Cam Taylor Britt leaves. So I, I don't think there's too much downside to, to bringing him on and, and maybe he ends up, uh, you know, really kind of pressing the issue for starting time uh, on the other side of Cam Taylor Britt. Yeah. Well, they're not, they're not desperate in the secondary, but what I think it does with this addition and then a dabs addition last year I feel like it sort of cancels out the three departures from the previous class. It sort of, it was a quick way to kind of fill those holes with pretty talented guys who now have to realize that potential. And you sort of move past that narrative of, you know, Jaden Francois, Delancey, Henry Gray, those guys. And I mean, if I'm, 
Tyreek Johnson, I'm thinking, yeah, Cam Taylor Britt's there now, but he's probably not going to be here next year. And I have a real chance to play a pretty pivotal role right off the bat and can be a multi-year starter at this place. It's all set up if I just go and work. Um, I feel like right now Nebraska has three good corners that you feel really good about in Cam Taylor Britt, Quinton Newsom, and I think Braxton Clark when he's healthy. I feel that way about him. And then there's sort of a maybe on the dab Joseph, like there was good things said about him pre-spring, but he's had some injuries. So it's like, can he make that next step? I'm talking corners here. And then, you know, Marquise Buford and Timon Lynham were hurt this spring. So that was unfortunate. So you didn't really get to see what they can do. I think they like what they might be, but you don't know yet. And so it, I, I feel like now they're more on much more solid footing with one more body there. Who's a, who's a big time prospect. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I made this comparison to someone else. Would you guys go as far to say, I mean, they acquired them in, in different ways and it's not the same, same exact situation, but if you're in Nebraska, you're kind of hoping to get out of Tyreek Johnson, what you did Oliver Martin, where maybe you're not going to see him early in the year, but then late in the year after he kind of gets acclimated, he gets his feet wet. He finds some confidence in what he's doing he sort of can be a late season contributor, which sets up what could be a, a pivotal spring for him in, in 2022 to where he's, if we're talking Cam Taylor Britt is gone, challenging for that opening starting job. I, I kind of feel like that's the pathway that would be most likely for somebody like Johnson, who again, you know, great high school talent. It's can he with a change of scenery trade in on those skills that made him stand out as an 18 year old. That's a good way to look at it. And also last year, Nadab Joseph, there was a lot of excitement for good reason when he was picked up by Nebraska, but he didn't get here. I looked it up till August, like early August, but it was August. And obviously then the, you know, the season was a freak show, but he wasn't declared eligible until a few games into the season. So it was really disjointed for him. Whereas in this case, Tyreek Johnson's probably going to be here in early July at, you know, at the latest, and he's going to have more of a runway to sort of a normal transition that Nadab Joseph did not have a season ago. So that's a, that's something else people need to factor in. If Nebraska had to go to a fifth defensive back, who would they go to right now? Um, For what position? Like if you had to bring an extra defensive back on the field, I mean, would you bring, would you be bringing like Isaac Gifford on the field, Miles Farmer? Would you be, Miles Farmer, then probably Noah Pola Gates. I'm just, I'm trying to think of a role that he could have that would be outside of a, you know, just a, a starting cornerback. Like, you know, if he would be able to play Does that this kind of role. Have a nickelback? Is JoJo Doman its nickelback? I think so. I mean, I, I think in most situations that you would have JoJo Doman out there. But I mean, I don't. I just don't know if the addition of somebody like like uh, Tyreek changes the the math a little bit on that. I felt like when they brought in an extra DV last year, Gifford was out there some. I think Gifford get people sleep on him. I, I feel like they really liked him, and you saw glimpses of him putting him in big spots. And I wouldn't be surprised if that continues. Now, what what's interesting is. It's hard because of the 
how do you label these guys? And they really shouldn't have labels, but how do they choose to use Gifford and, and Javen Wright? You know, do you, do you give them some safety reps this year or are they entirely like the understudies of Jojo Doman as Jojo Jr., the next in line there? Um, you know, how much do they move around? Th those guys are really the interesting chess pieces to me. And, uh, and now, yeah, this adds another layer to it with, with a talent like Tyreek Johnson, if he can, if he can show that, you know, he's that guy and he's got to prove that. Before we take a break, uh, you guys were around this weekend. What kind of stood out from Nebraska's visit weekend? Number two. Started off bronze. Well, I mean, I, I think what Nebraska's done, um, is they've kind of lined things up a little bit. I mean, there's obviously the priority guys that they brought in the first weekend um, of the visits on, on the fourth. I think this past weekend was guys that, you know, might not be top of the board type guys, but, you know, for a guy like a Mark Keith Williams, who's a top two, four, seven defensive back, I think Nebraska made a pretty good splash. Um, you know, I, I think that was a really important visit um, for, for a guy that, you know, is, is Timon Lynham's cousin. Um, I, I think he's was maybe a little bit taken aback by the visit um, with how much he liked it. I mean, he's got Ohio State coming up um, and, and, you know, wants to be a summer decision guy. So, I mean, that, that visit was probably the most noteworthy to me. But, you know, the first weekend they bring in Justin Williams, who I think is pretty close to the top of their board. Then they bring in Ashton Hayes this past weekend out of Nevada, who, you know, Nebraska, I think, is in kind of an, a unique spot with their numbers where, you know, you, you don't really know what they're going to be um, with, with what the NCAA is doing with the, the COVID year and, and whatnot. But um, th th I think there's very, very much a clear, you know, this is our, our 1A guy. And then, you know, the, this past weekend was a lot of kind of the, the 1B type guys that for, for certain positions where you have limited spots, um, I, I think it might come down somewhat to who commits first. So uh, we'll see. But, I mean, it, it was another big visit weekend in terms of numbers. I think this coming weekend is going to be similar um, to kind of what they've done. And, you know, you just kind of start – going with your board from there because it, it, it is going to be a smaller class unless something, you know, really happens with attrition or the NCAA weighs in with a different opinion on what the scholarship, scholarship numbers look like, but um, we'll see. I mean, I, I think it was kind of like the, the one B guys that they had uh, this weekend um, rather than the first weekend. The numbers thing was the most interesting storyline to me probably. And with that, I mean, like a guy like Vince Genitone who can't, comes in from uh, North Platte and is just a testing freak. I mean, the numbers he put up are great. Like he ran a 4.45, he said. He had a 38 and a half inch vertical or something like that. He's had a 10-7 broad jump. And uh, he was told by Scott Frost, you know, maybe we see you as a safety off the bat, but you could be a guy who moves into a linebacker role from there. He doesn't have a Husker offer yet, and Nebraska is very transparent with him. And it comes back to the numbers thing that Brunson's is talking about with you've got all these, all these guys who had an eligibility freeze. The super seniors don't count, but they're not part of this. It's the guys who should be seniors now 
that are juniors that aren't maybe leaving or you don't know for sure if they're leaving. And as we don't know that, uh, you know, Nebraska or any school is going to be allowed above an 85 scholarship count going forward. So that really ties your hands about how many guys you can have in the class. And it makes you have to make some really tough calls. I know we had a story on 24 seven sports a day about how if it stays as it is, there could be as many as like 500 guys less who gets opportunities this year across the country. And so it's, it's an interesting thing developing with sort of the fringe I, I hate to call them that, but you know what I mean with that. Like the fringe guys who don't necessarily get those automatic offers and they're kind of in, they're in a holding pattern right now. In theory, that should allow that sort of upper tier middle class that fill out the end of your elite programs to populate in other parts of college football. Uh, and which is where you would hope Nebraska would be able to take advantage of it in states like Florida and Georgia in this southeast where you're hoping to find some of those guys that you know routinely rank somewhere between uh, a 91 overall to an 89 or 88 overall and I'm talking about like the Markeith Williams and Ja'Cory Thomas and and guys of that nature but it, it hasn't necessarily played out quite like that yet for Nebraska I keep wondering if we see that more in the regular season um, but I, I think that there are both some good things and some bad things that can come out of it. I mean, it, it might allow a school like Nebraska to, to pull some more kids out of areas where they would have gone to the in-state schools, but they can't because those schools are filling up faster than ever because their classes are smaller than ever. So it, it, does, it does present some opportunities, but you have to be ready to pounce on it. And right now, Nebraska's not recruiting from a strength. Uh, I think it's a very real possibility that they don't have a composite four-star uh, in this class. I mean, right now they have a few that have come in for visits or are scheduled to come in for visits, um, but they're largely looking at a lot of uh, mid-tier threes and, and high threes. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on as well. It's, I mean, when you look around the country though, too, it's been interesting the first couple of weeks of June, how few commitments there's been. I mean, like, compared to a normal year. And I don't know, like, you, you kind of wonder, like, is, is July going to be when all those really start happening? Is it – because I just – I have a hard time believing that a lot of guys are going to wait till the fall to make decisions. I think it, July could be really active because if you get guys that can take three or four visits, as we know some of these guys are trying to do – and even a kid like Justin Williams that a week ago was talking about, I want to wait until November. Now that he's seen two schools and he's feeling pressure from two schools, he's got a third one on the way. He basically has a, a quote on 24 seven sports and I'm paraphrasing where he says, yeah, I think my family and I are going to have to talk down or sit down and talk about it after the Louisville visit in reference to his timeline. So mm -hmm. I, I do Brunts. I, I do think that that's coming. I think the month of July could be really sort of interesting but I also think that for Nebraska, these next couple of weeks could be pretty fruitful. I mean, mm -hmm. I know we were on this podcast last week, and I think I even referenced that I was expecting some commitments to come. And I, I think that there's a few guys that are relatively close out of that first visit weekend. Mm -hmm. We'll see if these next uh, visit weekends two and three could yield a player or two as well. Because, you're, I mean, you're basically sitting there right now with, I mean, a, a guy that kind of was in a similar boat to Williams with, 
know, Landon Sampson visits Nebraska the first weekend, goes to Ohio State this past week, leaves without an offer as far as we know. Um, you know, he told us too. I mean, look, you probably need to start evaluating this a lot quicker than I was planning on doing it because the spots are going to dry up. Grant Page, another visitor this past weekend, is looking to make a decision. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think the next couple of weeks for Nebraska could really – end up shaping the class, um, you know, for, for what it's going to be just because of, of the scarcity of those spots. I mean, I, I just, uh, I, I, I just find a hard time believing that a lot for, for the truly elite guys, yes, you can wait. But I think for a lot of the guys that are, like you said, in kind of that high three, low four star type area, um, it, you're going to need to kind of delib- deliberate a little bit more quickly than you would in a normal year. Yeah. All right. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back. We have counted down our most indispensable Huskers. We have 10 to one. We will go through some of those names. We will talk about who ended up at number one. I'm sure it will shock everyone mm-hmm. when they know that we have a long snapper as the most indispensable Husker. I won't even mention a name because once you know the long snapper's name, you know, he didn't do his job right. So all that more when we return here on the Husker 24 seven podcast. Ian, we are back. All right, Brunt, BC. Actually, BC, I'll leave it. Uh, we'll start with you. We were running through these, and who was the composite number 10 at uh, for, for us on our list uh, for most indispensable Husker? Deontay Williams. Deontay Williams. Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, he, he was one of the top testers this winter. Um I think, you know, maybe there was some question about him early last season with some tackling and some things on the back end with that. But the fact that him and Markel Dismuke are paired together, I mean, that gives you some that gives you a good comfort heading into a road game right off the bat. That's a Big Ten contest. I, I feel like you you love having a couple senior super senior safeties at that position. Um, so that. You know, he had a career high 51 tackles last season, four for losses. The thing you want to see out of him, I think, is um, more of those game changing plays. Uh, You know, he had one against Penn State that won Nebraska the game probably on one play where he, you know, gets a sack, force fumble and and takes it in the end zone. So if if he can be that type of guy more routinely, uh, then you'll say at the end of this thing, we had him too low, actually. What do you think, Rutz? Headline, Deontay Williams, warm blanket. It's kind of that guy you can count on. He gives you that warm feeling. You know he's back there. I like it. I, uh, I, I like it. So, Deontay Williams, I feel like he's sort of a lightning rod at times because he doesn't necessarily tackle with the great form that you want. I mean, I think he goes for the big hit. But he just has a knack for making plays. He's done it most of the time he's been on the field uh, in two of the three seasons. The third, you know, is the sandwich season. Obviously didn't play out in the way that he wanted. He he had that huge scoop and score against Penn State. I just think he's a steady player. I think he just has a knack for being in the right position at the right time. And I think you need guys like that. I don't know that he's, 
he's going to win any awards for his form. But I do think that you kind of need some of those risk takers that can can step up and make a play, and and he has the ability to do that. Number nine, uh, Ben Stilley, another super senior. Um, Eric Janander said in December, I think he's on the verge of having a big-time breakout year here. I actually had Stilley five, which was the highest of anybody. And that's because I always repeat this. I'll say it one more time. I like what's happening with the D-line, but I still think they have to prove that they actually have the depth that everyone sort of talks about because we've been over this. But last year, it came down to really four guys who took up all the reps. Having DeAndre Thomas back in the mix is going to help, and you hopefully Jordan Riley takes that next step. But uh, – I still think Stilly is going to have a heavy workload this year. And I don't think we would be near as comfortable talking about the D line this off season as we are, if he had not returned. That's why I had him a higher, but I think nine is where a lot of people about had him. I had him at six. Chief, so let, me him? Uh, let me, let me look. I I'm guessing I had him in like the 12 range. Gotcha. I think BC summed it up pretty well. I mean, I, 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 I would not feel as good about Nebraska's defensive line if he were not coming back. I think that's fair to say. I had him at 14. Whoa. And Ooh. I have two defensive linemen ahead of him. And I think that's in part because I think they have more potential. But he is very steady. He definitely allows uh, for, for you to feel better about allowing some of those guys to continue to develop behind him. And I am kind of just waiting for that breakout season. I mean, his production last year was was rock solid. I think they found a nice use of him by getting him in that sort of uh, three-man, four-man front where he played defensive tackle uh, a little bit next to Garrett Nelson, who sort of came down as a defensive end in some of those passing situations against Purdue and Minnesota and Rutgers. And I, I think that he has uh, an ability to help there. I just don't know, like, I don't know what a, a really great Ben Stilly season looks like. Um, and so it's, it's hard for me to get him in my top 10 because I just think that Casey Rogers and, and Ty Robinson maybe have more potential for sacks and TFLs. Like, I, I, I do believe that Stilly is very steady, but – I, I don't know that I equate steadiness with the necessity to make sure that I have them in my top 10. I mean, if you look last year, Ben Stilley had three, three tackles for a loss and one and a half sacks. I mean, I, and, and I'm projecting with Rogers and certainly with Robinson because their numbers aren't as good, but I, I just don't know, like if that breakout's coming, what does that look like for Ben Stilley? I think a breakout from Rogers or Robinson is a little bit higher. <clears throat> All right, uh, number eight, and I'll let someone else speak first instead of me hogging the answer. Number eight is Damian Daniels. Go. I had him in my top four. I mean, I, I think that from just a, a value standpoint, Nebraska has no one else like Damian Daniels on their roster. So I had him at number three. And if he were to get hurt, it would be a lot like when they didn't have any no, or any defensive tackles in 2012 after Baker Steinkohler. I mean, it's just they're thin there. I, I don't know what the answer is for them at nose tackle if they don't have Damian Daniels 
filling up 60% of those reps. And I also think that he played pretty well towards the end of last season too. Heard it here first without Damian Daniels, Nebraska gives up 70 a game, just like the big, <laughs> Ten, big Ten championship game. I, I had him, I had him lower on my list. I had him at seven. I, I, I agree with you though. I, and we, we've talked about it on the podcast that, uh, his his transformation this spring was was uh, definitely notable, and I'm intrigued by how much work he can give Nebraska um, from a snap count point of view. Because I I think if he can be in there, the majority of the reps that defense has a chance to be pretty good up the middle. So I I, I think he's uh, very indispensable, and uh, I, I think they have options behind him, but I think he is the best option. Yeah, you guys said it. I'd like to see him go to, to taking almost like two-thirds of the snaps. And then, you know, Jordan Riley, Huttmacher, whatever fills it in. But that's that's what I'd like to see him do. He killed Snacks. Snacks is dead. Long yeah. with Snacks. I'm glad. Um, number seven. <laughs> well, it, was just, it became a dumb, like, thing he got asked about every thing. Uh, number seven is Austin Allen. Tight end Austin Allen, who I think will be a team captain. I do. Um, he's one of the leaders of the offense. We were told this spring, whenever the offense was stinking it up, he was one of the guys who came in and said, come on, guys, let's get it together. And they listened. So uh, Sean Becton thinks he's a NFL potential guy, and I, I actually think he could be too. So he's number seven. What do you think, Browns? That, that, that sounds good to me. I, I think that's uh... – I was just looking at my list. I had him at, had him at ten, but I, I have no qualms with what Brian said. Can I make another weird offense defensive comparison, like I did with Oliver Martin and with uh, with Tyreek Johnson? Sure. There's uh, there's some like Luke Gifford vibes with Austin Allen, like, like a guy that you know people had heard the name. He's an in-state kid. There probably wasn't a ton of expectation for but he just continually gets better. The coaches love him because he works hard. His intangibles are off the charts. And then when he actually gets the opportunities in his junior and senior year, he just busts forward. Like, I, I think that we could see a pretty good year out of Austin Allen. I mean, we, we joke all the time about tight ends and tight end production and, you know, whether there's going to be another Tyler Hoppus like year or whatever. I think Austin Allen could have 450, 500 yards. I think he could be a big part of this. I think he could and should be a big goal, you know, red zone weapon. Like, I, I just he find a way to get him the ball. It felt like he continually made important catches for Nebraska last year when they were terrible throwing the ball. And I, I wonder if he and Adrian don't have uh, the ability to kind of sync up a little bit more than they did. They're roommates? I don't know if they are roommates. Don't believe so. Number six. Samore Toure, I would fit him in the same category as Allen a bit when it comes to when you think about Adrian Martinez in that I feel like Toure, if it works out as everyone hopes around here, is going to be like a nice little security blanket, you know, like a guy where maybe a play looks like it's breaking down and there he is suddenly, you know, you hit him for that 10-yard gain. That guy who, a 6'3 guy in the slot who gives you some matchups you really like and on third down and six you move the chains with them I think Austin Allen can be a similar guy 
I think they're chain movers. I think those are guys that Nebraska is going to really need on the money down. And uh, maybe this is everybody shooting a little high for the new guy and just optimistic thinking, but in defense of why he's this high, you know, he had 1,495 yards at the university of Montana's last season. That's dang good. So um, I understand why this feels like a different type of transfer than, than uh, a couple that didn't work out at the receiver position. Is he Nebraska's best wide receiver on the roster right now? Yes. There you go. That's definitive. No one wanted (laughs) to argue with. Um, Based on the rankings. Yes, he is. Definitive. You were gonna, I mean, you were gonna him and Haw, Brian. What? Who's better? Well, I, I think he's gonna lead the team in receiving. Um, now, if if Omar Manning or somebody is actually that truly high ceiling guy, where he actually hits it and he is what everybody's imaginations have, then who knows? And there, I mean, there were like glimpses of Manning where I thought, well, that could be pretty fun, but. I don't want to go down that road yet. And uh, all, you know, Oliver Martin's a guy who uh, he was lower on this list, but you talk to other receivers and DBs and he was winning one-on-one matchups all spring. And so uh, I think Oliver Martin would be the one guy you would say could challenge Toure for that honor. Yeah, I, I think that that's possible. Um, I just feel like Toure is going to be really steady. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe Martin can settle into that too. I mean, I think Xavier Betts has a huge amount of upside, but there's still a ways to go in his college career. But I, I think the safest bet for most productive receiver, if healthy is, is Samari Toure. Number five, uh, Luke Reimer. And you talk about a quick ascent going from a guy who, you know, a couple of years ago, nobody knew who he was, uh, pops up in the fall camp as though you better, you better at least have him on your radar. And then last season when he got his opportunities, um, he's just everywhere. I mean, he's a guy who is sort of a ball hawk. I did think he needed to bulk up a little maybe. um, And I think he did that. And there's a few lessons he probably learned like last year, the Northwestern game, I think the long run early might've been some of his mistake. So I'm sure there's stuff on film he went back and saw that he had to clean up, but I think he'll lead the team in tackles and, and TFLs. He would be my prediction as long as he stays healthy. He's more indispensable now that um, I'm blanking. Uh, that, the Honus is Honus. done for the year. Yeah. So I, I, think, uh, I think I think that... he has the upside to be. Oh, go ahead. No, please. He has the upside to be. I cut you off. I, I want to know. I, I was just saying that I, I think he is is one of the more important pieces of Nebraska's defense, especially given the, the injury to Honus. I was just going to say that I think he has the upside of being Nebraska's best defender this I year. I thought you were going to say to him being Levante David. That was disappointing. <laughs> um, say that it. That seems like say a stretch. <laughs> like a big stretch and I'm not going to say that but he might be the best linebacker Nebraska's had since Levante David by the time he finishes his career I'll say that is that fair all right we'll go with that I mean I know it's it's less exciting when you're having to beat out the David Santos's and Will or uh what Will Compton who 
Who would be the best linebacker that isn't named Levante David in Nebraska's last however many years since 2011? I mean, Compton was pretty good. Um, You know what the stats say? What do they say? They they would say that uh, Dedrick Young, right? Young. Dedrick Young. Yeah, Dedrick Young, yeah. I think Luke Reimer is already better than Dedrick Young in his senior season. That's, That's probably not a stretch. I would love to find the people to argue with me on that one. That's not a hill I want to die on. Um, number <laughs> number four. Number four. Cam Taylor Britt. One of you has the floor. He was number very five. good player. Yeah, he's a good player. <laughs> That's it. I mean, Cam Taylor Bridge probably the I would say he's Nebraska's best player, but I think as we get to the final three, it's going to make sense. People have to remember the point of this list is not just talent, but like what's behind him. And we've kind of yep. we've gone over the DBs actually in this very podcast, and uh, especially with the Tyreek Johnson edition, it would be terrible if Cam Taylor Brent Britt weren't available because he can be a good kick returner, punt returner. I think he's going to try to do everything. But I do feel like his position has more depth than some of the ones we're going to finish with. I think you said it completely. I mean, I think Cam Taylor-Rich very, very good. I think he has the most pro potential on this team. I think he's sort of this team's heartbeat, uh, and maybe especially on the defensive side. He makes plays, and he helps out on special teams. I mean, the talent is, is very much all – all encompassing. And so there's no, there's no question that he's a top five player on the team and uh, just comes down to if there's other guys that a loss would hit them a little bit harder, but it's, it's close. I mean, if you were to tell me that he was number one on this list, I wouldn't argue with that much. Sort of like college football is right now where there's like four teams that separate from everybody else. I think the top four on this list separate from everybody else on this topic. Number three, is Cameron Jurgens. Beef Jurgy? Sure. Well, we know his nickname isn't Big Mac. Why is that? You, you didn't see this? Uh-uh. His dad, like, wouldn't let him eat Big Macs when he was a kid. He told it on the Adrian Martinez podcast. Apparently. Oh. And then his, his mom took to Twitter to lament the fact that he was airing the family's dirty laundry. <laughs> it was killing me. <laughs> I was I was laughing pretty hard at it. That, I mean, that's, that's rough. I, I mean, it, who's Nebraska's backup center if, if something happens to him? Is it Hickson? Is that is that the direction they go? Yep. I think, I think the, they find Mike Caputo and whatever he's doing and just throw him <laughs> in there. Pewter, Pooter. So, I mean, I I think you know his struggles have been obviously well documented, but I think from a ceiling standpoint, and when the snaps are good. I mean, I think he really makes that offensive line tick. So, I mean, I, I don't, uh, I don't know that, you know, obviously, you know, Corcoran is important and Ben Hart is important and whoever is starting to guard is important, but you know, it, it feels like this is the year where it's, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen for Cam Jurgens this year and we'll, we'll see, but I mean, I think he's got the highest highest ceiling of pretty much anybody on that offensive line outside of maybe Corcoran. We said Hickson as the backup, and that is true. 
for how it'll be on the depth chart. And it very well would be that way, but Ethan Piper might be a consideration just if you thought it through, because I know he's taken some snaps there in the spring and I could see them, you know, it's whoever they think gives them their best guy there. Um, and then they could, they have enough guards to patch that up. So that's, that's what that would be. Um, number two, Jojo Doman. Hey, no no argument for me. He's a good football player. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to leave the field much. Um, I think we've seen what he can do when he stays healthy and, and is out there. Um, I think they're going to rely on him a lot to match up with the different defenses that the, the Big Ten is going to throw at Nebraska and certainly what they're going to see in non-conference play as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think as long as he stays home and, and can kind of – you know, is, is one of those guys that consistently makes the, you know, the, the, the kind of impact play, turnover, sacked, interception, whatever. I, I think he uh, – I, I don't know that there's another guy on Nebraska's roster that we know right now that can do what he does. Yeah. I, to JoJo's credit, a year ago he wasn't in the top ten on this list. And um, – his defensive coordinator challenged him to be a guy who he was kind of a player who would always go for the kill shot play. And sometimes it would go the other direction on Nebraska. And he, he was much more of uh, making plays, but also within the system last year. And um, he's put himself in that. So, I mean, you love what Javen Wright and Isaac Gifford or somebody might be there maybe in your mind, but this would be a tough, like, trial by fire for one of those guys this season to go through that. So it's beautiful that he came back and now, you know, hopefully one or two of those guys figure it out, sort of maybe getting some game reps sprinkled in behind him. We did a top 25 last year and I had Jojo Doman at 23. Wow. In in front of him included Colin Miller, uh, Braxton Clark, Garrett Nelson, DeAndre Thomas, um, I correctly put in Connor Culp in there. Neither of you did. I do remember that. Uh, Travis Vokalek, way too high for me. My top six were spot on. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny to just go back and think about it because it's like we, we talk about how there's very obvious top of the group, but really after you get across those first five, there's going to be a riser. There's going to be guys who aren't nearly as productive as we expect they will be. There will be injuries. Um, but it is it is kind of fun to go back and look at previous iterations, just like with the Super 6. Yeah. Um, number one will shock you. Um, yeah, it's Adrian. In fact, Adrian, we had the board posters also weigh in, and many did, and not one person. There wasn't even one contrarian this year, and you would think there would be because people like to do that, that would go a different direction, but it was all Adrian. Everybody went with Adrian at number one. I, I mean, I don't well, know who else it would be. <laughs> who, who else would it be? Over there? I mean, like you, <laughs> you... It wouldn't be, but you know how people are. Right. People, they're the worst. The worst. Nobody likes the people. Yeah, we don't know what's behind him at all yet. I mean, we they think they're going to get the backups in order, but you don't know that. And 
as Adrian goes, his team's going to go in a lot of ways. That's just the bottom line. Like if he can bring Scott Frost has said it multiple times and it's kind of a no duh comment, but it's the, it's the thing that epitomizes where Adrian's at. He's the Rutgers game was a snapshot of Adrian. He was so good for a lot of that game, like 96% of the snaps. He was really good, but he had four turnovers that were just killers. And it made Nebraska have to run uphill the entire evening. Can he shrink that number down in half or down to like one mistake a game like that? Even if it's that you can get by with that. That'll be the, that'll tell the tale, I think. Yeah, no, I, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the the problem that I think he's had the last couple of years is they just have not had enough skill position help for him, uh, especially after Maurice Washington was kicked off the team. I mean, their run game has been a mess over the course of two seasons, and we don't know if that's going to get solved. And you hope that these new faces in the passing game will at least make that a little bit easier. But they've been so dependent on him in the quarterback run game to make up for the lack of everything else that it does make everything he he does magnified, good and bad. So there you have it. That was a top ten. All right. Uh, yeah, no surprises, really. Names everyone expected. We appreciate those who participated in the exercise. Any final thoughts, just gentlemen, as we wrap this up? I don't know why I'm slurring my words. I promise I have not been drinking. It's from your – it's probably still in you from that trip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I would not be all that surprised. I, <laughs> turns out that if you go hard at 33, you feel it for several days after the fact. No, I don't have any big thoughts. Do you, Bruns? No, busy weekend, no. Um, oh, yeah. We, we've got, what have we got? We've got another Friday Night Lights camp. You have a busy weekend of guys coming in to work out on Friday. You've got a, recruiting event on saturday you've got the pipeline camp on saturday and so there's going to be a lot happening on the site so make sure you're you're around husker 24 7 the big red blitz on wednesday when this will be running we'll we'll be having updates from that stuff across the state we, we will be crisscrossing small town nebraska tomorrow mm. yeah that's all i got well, that seems like that's a good amount right there. We'll be back with more on the Husker 24-7 podcast either later this week or next week. And as Brent said, there's a lot of content you can expect with the uh, the Husker 24-7 group coming to Husker 24-7. So be sure to check that out. We'll catch you next time.